you got your Bibles? I hope you do. Would you open them up to the book of James? James chapter 1. For the last nine weeks, we have been a study through the book of Colossians um, entitled, It's All About Jesus, and we will return to that next week. But today, Christians all over the world are taking a moment to pause. We're, we're taking a moment, setting aside a day to remember, to pray for, and to care for orphans. So we're going to do that today. Uh, and as we do that today, I, I want to spend a little time talking about simple Christianity. Simple Christianity, because um, although being a Christian in, is hard in a lot of ways, especially in the day that we're living, although at times it takes work, it takes effort, um, at its core, being a Christian really can be quite simple. So um, I want to show you that today, and, and as we see this simple Christian faith outlined, um, we're also going to encounter a biblical mandate that confronts each of us as we talk about this idea of orphans and caring for those who are invisible, the weak, the hurting, the suffering in our society. So as you're turning to James, uh, every time we start a new book of the Bible, I like to give you a little bit of a background about that book that we're looking at. I, I do that because if we can understand the text and the context of the text that we're looking at, we will better understand what's being written and be able to apply it to our lives. So the book of James that we're reading, going to be reading out of today, it was written by James. Shocking, right? Um, but most scholars agree that this is the James that is the brother of Jesus. Um, he wrote this letter. Um, it's known traditionally as one of the general epistles, one of the general letters, and that's because it's not addressed to a specific church. So um, there are letters like Romans and Colossians, 1 Thessalonians. Those are addressed to specific churches in Rome, in Colossae, in Thessalonica, right? This one is just addressed to Christians in general. It's also, chronologically speaking, one of the earliest books of the New Testament. In fact, it's considered to be the first book written in the New Testament. Uh, many scholars believe it was written in about 40 AD. So this is a very old or very early text, depending on how you want to look at it. And it was addressed to Jewish Christians that were out in the diaspora, which is just a fancy word for the scattering of Jews throughout the world. This scattering took place over several centuries, and it was triggered by a lot of things, but two big factors were the fall of the northern kingdom Israel in 722 to the Assyrians, and then 136 years later in 586, the southern kingdom Judah fell to the Babylonians. And in following each of these defeats, the conquering empires would take Jews and they would take them out of their lands in Palestine and scatter them throughout their kingdoms. Now, over time, eventually many of these Jews returned. But by the time we get to the New Testament times, so the time that this letter was written, um, what we see is that about half of the Jewish people were living outside of Palestine. In fact, as Paul is going on his various missionary journeys, he's going to encounter basically everywhere he goes, he's going to run into a Jewish synagogue. Um, so really this diaspora, it kind of paved the way for the proclamation of the gospel throughout the world. Um, and James is going to write about about that, about living as a Christian to these people all over the world that are spread out. Um, and in this letter, I don't, I don't know how many times you've read through it or if you've read through it, uh, James is kind of all over the place. There's arguments about like, is this one coherent argument or is he just kind of, is it a, the Proverbs of the New Testament, which is what it's been called by some people. Um, so he talks about a lot of stuff, but the portion we're going to look at today um, talks about, he kind of outlines this idea of being uh, a Christian and living simply as a Christian. So we're going to do that. That's what we're going to do. We're just going to look at the first um, couple of verses in chapter one. So if you've got your Bibles, James chapter one, we'll start at verse 22 and we'll work to 27. 
which as I say that, I realize that's actually the last couple of verses in chapter one, not the first couple, but let's take a look at this. Okay, verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who intently, who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is the word of the Lord. Let's take a moment and pray. Father God, we thank you for your word to us today. Lord, we thank you that you have spoken to us through James, through this letter that was written thousands of years ago, but is just as applicable to us today. As we begin to look at your word, as we begin to study this text and and really see what it's saying, draw out of it, God, I ask that you would speak to each of us that you would show us what it means to be your disciple and what that means to live simply as a Christian, to live every day a faith that actively seeks to serve you, to reach people with the gospel of Jesus, to care for those who are hurting, who need help, because you've put us here for a mission and that mission is to serve you. So help us to see that and then to take it and go out of here and do it. We love you, Lord, and it's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. In our text today, we're going to dive like straight into this, but in our text today, um, we're going to see James showing us how to live our faith simply, okay? That's kind of my thesis for you, if you will. We're we're just going to get right at this. So let me show you what I'm talking about. Let's start right there at the beginning, verse 22. James begins this paragraph that we're looking at today saying, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And as we begin to look at this text here uh, and we see James telling us to be a doer of the word, I think it's important for us to understand what James is talking about. And I think it's a fair question to ask, what does the word mean here? Uh, in the Greek, it's, it's logos. Um, this, this word here in verse 22 is the same as the word of truth that we see in verse 18, a few verses before. And that really kind of sets the stage for how we're going to define it here. In verse 18, uh, James wrote, of, of his own will he, and, and the he here is the Father, brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. What James is talking about here when he says the word is the gospel message, okay? He's talking about the gospel message. You see, the gospel message is not just a message that we hear. That's what James is saying. It's a message that we live out. That's a positive command that we're going to see right here in the first half of verse 22. We need to be doers of the gospel message. And, and this isn't a new command that James is giving us. It's not like James sat down and he's writing this letter to all these Christians. He's like, I need to give these guys a new command. No, this is, this is James repeating the teaching of Jesus who had, who had taught this years before. In fact, if we were to look at Luke chapter 11... We're t- in that in Luke chapter 11, we're told that Jesus was teaching and as he was teaching, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts that nursed you. But, but he, Jesus said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Okay? 
And I love how, how the New Living Translation, it's a paraphrase of the Bible. It's not a direct translation. It's a paraphrase. But I love how they paraphrase what Jesus says here because it really catches the heart of what Jesus was commanding to all these people that are sounding, standing around him. The, the New Living Translation paraphrases Jesus saying, but, but even more blessed are all who hear the word of God and put it into practice. We need to be doers of the word. But, but what does that look like? It looks like lives that are lived in submission to Christ. It looks like lives that overflow in faithful obedience to Christ and all that he has commanded. And notice that if you hear the word, but you're not living it out, you're deceiving yourself. Right? You're, not, you're not fooling anyone else. And, and that's what James is telling us to avoid. It, so, so if you l- want to live a simple faith, then you've got to avoid deception. If you're taking notes, that is that first fill in the line. Avoid deception. You see, here's the reality. We can hear the gospel message. We can, we can agree with the gospel message. We can even accept what it says. We, we can take our time to study that message, to, to look at the original Greek manuscripts. We can read commentaries. We can even sit around in groups and discuss what that word says. But if we're not changed by the gospel message, if we don't have a life that radiates out in our lives what it means to, to live in Christ, if we're not spurred to action, then, then we, may not have reached, we may have reached some sort of mental assent to the gospel. We may say, yeah, we agree with this mentally, but we haven't really received the gospel. We haven't really got it. And the danger there is that we think we're Christians and we're really not. If we're not living out obedience to Christ and what he's commanded, then then he isn't the Lord of our lives. We haven't surrendered to him. We haven't come to that point where we say, you're in charge, okay? And God knows that. He knows that. You're you're not going to fool anybody other than yourself, You're deceiving yourself, and that's exactly what James says we need to avoid. You see, whenever we encounter the message of the gospel, the word of truth, we're we're going to have to respond. A a response is absolutely necessary because the gospel is a lot like a mirror. And I love how um, this analogy that James uses to make his point as he continues on into verse 23. He writes, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. I recently read a story of a missionary during the 19th century who was serving out in the bush somewhere. Um, He had apparently hung a mirror up in a tree uh, so that he could shave. And a local witch doctor walked by and looked into the mirror and she saw her reflection and, and kind of freaked out, screamed and yelled a little bit. And then after she calmed down, she tried to purchase the mirror from the missionary. The missionary refused to sell the the mirror to her, but she would not relent. So finally, he just gave her the mirror. She took the mirror and threw it on the ground, breaking it into a million pieces. And then there says, there, now that won't make faces at me anymore. Now, I, I don't know if that's true, but it confronts a reality we need to talk about. You see, when we look into a mirror, it shows us back exactly what we're looking at. The mirror doesn't lie. And as much as we may want it to lie, it's not going to. It's going to tell us the truth. We look at it and it shows us who we are. And the same thing happens when we encounter the gospel. When we encounter the the word of God, the gospel shows us who we are. It shows us our need to surrender to Christ, our need to repent of sin, our need to live with Christ Jesus as the Lord of our lives. 
And when you encounter the gospel, you've got to make a choice. In fact, you can't encounter the gospel without making a choice. A choice has to happen. And really, there are just three options. You can hear the gospel and accept what it says and repent, okay? You can, you can hear the gospel, accept what it says, and choose to walk away anyway. Or you can just deny it completely, right? You've got three options. But regardless of how you respond, you can't, cannot have a genuine encounter with the gospel and not make some sort of a choice, Because the gospel is a lot like a mirror. It tells us the truth of who we are. We not only see that we are sinners, but we begin to see the depth of our sin when we see the gospel. And when we see that depth of sin, we recognize that the gospel leads us to choose. And any choice that doesn't result in repentance is just some form of self-denial. The gospel leads us to change. But, but here the analogy James uses is, is of someone who hears the word but does nothing about it, right? Someone who hears the word and is unmoved, who, who hears the word but doesn't let it push them into obedience and service. He says it's a kind of person, that kind of person is, is someone who, who looks into the mirror and immediately forgets who they are. And as I was studying this this last week, as I was thinking about this example that James gives us, I, I kept finding myself asking, who, who does that? Who looks into a mirror and then looks away and completely forgets what they look like? And I kept coming back to the reality that nobody does that. No one does that. No one looks in a mirror, walks away, and immediately forgets what they look like. Now, now, when I look in the mirror, I might not like what it says. I might not like, like what it shows me. Like, I might wish I saw more hair or something like that, right? But, but I don't forget, and that's the point. That's the point that James is making. When we look at the word, the gospel, we recognize who we are, and it requires us to make a choice. But if we look into the gospel and we don't think that we've got a choice to make, we're deceiving ourselves, All of this is a negative example that James uses here, but as we continue into verse 25, we're going to see a positive example, the the example we want to follow. Okay, so we don't want to be like that. We want to be like this. James continues writing in verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Here the analogy of verses 23 and 24 uh, becomes fully clear. The mirror is the perfect law, the law of liberty. This is the same meaning we had when we looked at the word, the logos in verse 23. But here it's the perfect law, the law of liberty. And and I don't want you to miss what that means because as, as we see the word law here, we might be tempted to think of the laws of Moses. We might be tempted to think of the Torah or the 613 commands of the Mosaic Code, but that's not what James is talking about. In the context here, especially as we consider kind of the whole chapter leading up to this with references to the word and the word of truth in the preceding verses, what what he means here is more likely the law of Moses as interpreted and supplemented and completed and perfected in Christ Jesus, okay? It's the new covenant that was promised by Jeremiah. It's the new covenant that was brought to fulfillment by Jesus, You see in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34, the prophet proclaimed, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, 
when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. Then listen to this next part, starting at verse 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. That prophecy was about Jesus and what he did to the law right? You see, the Mosaic law gave commands. It gave rules. It it gave lists of do's and don'ts that we were supposed to follow. But the perfect law, the law of Jesus, the the life change caused by our encounter with the risen Christ, the law that's written on our hearts as we repent of our sin and we surrender to Christ as Lord, that's the law of liberty. That's the law of freedom. You see, when we look into the gospel message and we see who we really are, who we really are, we come to a point where we have to choose. And when we choose to follow Christ, we find liberty and freedom. We become obedient to the perfect law, the law of freedom, because we have an overflow of love for God. And it flows out into everything else that we do in our lives. We're no longer bound by laws of do's and don'ts. We're not bound by the guilt that that we recognize we have when we aren't able to live up to those laws. No, we're bound by God's love, which we've received through his son, Jesus. And that love spurs us to live out the greatest commandments. And we saw those greatest commandments kind of narrowed down, funneled down into just four words two weeks ago. We saw that, right? You guys remember? Love God, love people. Those are the greatest two commandments we have. And out of those flows everything else. That's what, what the word persevere here means. It's, it's the Greek parameno. It, it means to stay or to remain or to continue in. And, and what we're seeing here is that we're going to continue and we're going to move forward in the commands to love God and love people. Day in, day out. And we're not going to be passive about it. We're going to be active as we actively love God and actively love people. And when we do that, when we persevere in that, when we see and hear and then become doers, when we become the Christians who live out their faith day in and day out, actively living out their faith, loving God and actively loving people, James says, we'll be blessed. Do you want God's blessing in your life? Do you? Yeah, you do, right? And so... So do the word, live the word. I know that sounds a little bit like prosperity theology, but it's not. That's biblical theology. The Bible says when when we are doers of the word, we'll be blessed. Look into the word, the gospel, the perfect law, the law of liberty. See who you are. See whose you are. And then walk and work and live in that and be blessed. We want to avoid deception because as Christians, there's blessing for us as we live out our simple faith every day. Okay, so that's the first thing. If you want to live a simple Christian faith, you've got to avoid deception. Don't don't try and deceive yourselves. But as we continue on into verse 26, I want you to see that there's more that we can do if if we want to nail down this idea of, of simple Christian faith. 
So verse 26, let's take a look at it. James says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. What do we see there? Like if we're looking at that, if I could just bring that down to the super simple level, what he's saying is, hey, there are these people out there and, and they're just all talk. They're all talk. And what James is saying to just be, make it super simple is don't talk a big game. Just don't talk a big game. Live it. Do it. Okay? You see, sometimes we talk ourselves into being way more than we actually are. We make ourselves to look good, make ourselves look super religious, but it's all for show. We can't do that. That word religious here uh, in verse 26, it's only found in one place in, our entire, in the entire Bible, and it's, it's right here. Um, it, it refers to an outward expression of devotion, a, a careful observance of rituals or church practices. And what James is saying is that if you think you're religious because you look like it outwardly, but you can't control your tongue, you're, you're just all talk, then this religion that you're talking about is worthless. And that word worthless, mateos, it, it means empty, fruitless, frivolous, or powerless. I think all of those defi- definitions here are, are perfectly applicable. If all you've got is talk, if you're just going through the motions on the outside without a heart change on the inside, no, no real surrender, no real heart change, it's all just going through the motions to look good on the outside. There's no love for God or love for people, then your religion really is fruitless. It really is frivolous. It, it really is powerless. It's worthless. Because at the center of the Christian faith is a heart that is humble. Because it's not about me. It's not about Josh up here. It's not about you out there. It's about Christ. The things we do outwardly need to be driven by the inner heart that has, has experienced a change because of Christ. How many times have you met someone that says, yeah, I'm a Christian, but as you get to know them based on what they say and how they act and how they live, you start to recognize they're not a Christian. Anybody? Just, just me? I hate to admit it, been me multiple times I've, I've seen that and 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 no kidding I, I will freely admit that the position between uh, a person and God whether they're saved or not only they only that person and God know if they're right with God okay I'm, I'm not saying that I can decide if you're a Christian or or not that's up to God but the Bible does make it perfectly clear that when you surrender your life to Christ when you surrender to him you accept him as Lord of your life There's going to be a change in your life. You're going to look differently. And we can see that change. And coming back to that that question, like, like, have you ever really met somebody and they talk and and you're just like, it doesn't, that just doesn't match. Their words don't match what they're, they're doing. Have you ever met someone like that? Like I said, I've met lots of people that way. Lots of people. And it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking for a couple of reasons. It's heartbreaking, number one, because that person probably thinks they're saved. They probably think they're good to go, and they're not. They're not, if there's no change. But also, it's heartbreaking because that person is walking around saying, I represent Christ with their mouth, but their actions, how they live out their life every single day, it just doesn't match. Do you want to know if you're a Christian? Look at what comes out of your mouth. Because Jesus said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Don't talk a big game. 
And what James, he's saying here is, is that we need to control our tongues. We, we can't be puffed up bragging about our own righteousness, boasting about our own holiness while, while bashing and degrading and belittling people who need to hear the gospel. We need to know what's coming out of our mouth. Later in this letter, James is going to write that the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our God and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. And then listen to this kind of bold statement. He says, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. We've got to be known by what we're for, not what we're against. We're for Jesus. As followers of Christ, we are for Jesus. We're for life change. We're for lives that are radically changed, completely turned around by the gospel of Jesus. So don't talk a big game. Live it. We're not here for the photo op. We're not here to look good on social media. We're not here to make ourselves look good at all. We're here to make Christ look good. We're here to serve the Lord. We're here to proclaim the gospel. We're here to glorify and make much of Jesus. So I'll say it again. Don't talk a big game. Live a big game. Live it. And as we return to our text, back to James, I want you to see that if we want to live this simple Christian faith, we've got to remember the invisible. This brings us back to Orphan Sunday. This text that, that Brother Ricky um, told you guys as we were praying. Take a look at verse 27. James writes, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. And before we go any further in this, we need to kind of deal with the first half of this sentence. Because in the previous verses, James was denouncing religion uh, that was based on outward appearance, that was based on your own self-assessment. But here, here we're seeing the exact opposite. Here he's saying, um, if you want religion that is pure and undefiled by God the Father, that word religion has kind of a negative connotation in our day, doesn't it? Like you hear about a religious person, and that's not necessarily a compliment, but it doesn't have to be a dirty word as long as it's defined by God. And while the religion that James denounced in verse 26 was a religion that seemed good because it was, you know, like outwardly I looked good, the real religion is religion that's defined by God. That's what we want to have. True religion is pure and undefiled before God, which means the, the standards of true religion come by the word of truth and they produce a change in our lives. It, it produces a relationship with God. Genuine religious religion means everything in the believer's life. Everything, everything in the believer's life is to bear the mark of God. So let me ask you this. Does everything in your life, at your work, in your neighborhood, in your home, do you bear the mark of God in that? i totally going to leave my notes aside for a second. Last night we went and bought a car. Who likes buying a car? Nobody likes buying it. Well, one person likes buying a car. Like I, I got so frustrated last night that I actually had to go outside the dealership with Tama and I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get up in front of these people and preach. I, I said those words to Tama. Like I was so frustrated and just trying to keep it to myself. Everything in our lives needs to bear the mark of God. And I'm, I'm here telling you as your campus pastor, there are times where I struggle with that, okay? But we keep working at it. We repent of that and we keep working. Back to the notes, okay. 
So what does true religion include? Care for orphans and widows. You see, orphans and widows, they were the weakest people, the most helpless people in Jewish society. And in this day, what James is doing is he's using them as representative examples of all people who are hurting and in need that, that don't have what they need for life. These, these widows and orphans are examples of a greater whole because these people were weak. They were invisible. They had no voice. They had no ability to speak. So they were overlooked. And what James is telling us is that our love for God and our obedience for God ought to overflow in a love for people that are hard to see. A love for the broken and the hurting. And it's right here that I want this text to get personal for you today. It's Orphan Sunday. This has got to be personal for us because we need to ask hard questions. We can't read this just one Sunday out of the, out of the year and then walk away and, and not think about it, not consider it. It's part of being a follower of Christ. So hard questions. Let's ask them. Who are the invisible people in our world? Do we see them or do we just look past them? How can we serve them? How can we love them? We're called to this, so how do we do all of that? I don't have all the answers for you. I I think I'm supposed to, but I, I just don't, okay? I don't have the answers, but as Christians, as the church here in Alberta, we need to wrestle with this because we're called to remember and care for the invisible. So who are they and how do we care for them? What will that look like for us moving forward? We can't overlook this. Our our love for God ought to compel us to remember and serve and take care of the weak and the oppressed. And maybe that means for some of us, we need to look into serving in foster care as a foster family. Maybe that means for some of us, we need to, to act on the weight that's been on us when it comes to adopting somebody because Christ adopted us. That is an individual thing, but... But I really want us to consider those questions as well in light of us as a church. We are a church together, right? So if you know ways that we can serve the invisible, my email is josh, J-O-S-H, at tothepoint.church. Email me. I mean that. We want to move forward serving our community, taking care of the invisible. So if you know of somebody, you know of a family that needs help, if you know of a way that we can serve this community, email me. I'm always, like, I'm on my phone all the time. I'm happy to get an email from somebody other than Tractor Supply. Um, and, And as I push forward on trying to find these new ways to love people that, that God loves, and that's the reality we need to understand. God loves these people. God loves these kids that are hurting. And if God loves them, that means we love them too. And that love has to be shown out in how we live our lives. But as we do this, I want you to know as a church, this isn't something that's new to us, okay? This isn't like me coming up in front of you and saying, hey, we have no ideas. We're not doing anything. We need to be doing something, okay? So I want you to hear some of the things we've been doing. We're a church that seeks to live out our faith. We've been doing that. We're going to continue to do that. So some of the ways we've done that, in our church alone in the last year and a half, we have adopted four kids into loving, Christ-exalting families. And I want to see that number go up. 
okay? We're sponsoring kids in Liberia through light evangelism ministry. Emily was with you guys last week while I was over at the Perdido campus. She talked to you about that. If you need more information, let me know. I can help you out with that. In January, we're going to be participating in the baby, baby bottle boomerang. That is a tongue twister, okay? We're going to have these little baby bottles that you can fill with change. We're going to collect them, and we're going to take those over to the Women's Care Medical Center um, in Robertsdale and in Gulf Shores. Um, this is an organization that provides compassionate and non-judgmental um, a, a compassionate and non-judgmental place for women and men that are struggling with unexpected pregnancies uh, to help them, to lead them, shepherd them as they make decisions and get medical treatment. Um, last summer, last summer we were kind of the backbone of the Feed Alberta program where we went and we had brec- breakfasts and lunches that we provided to underprivileged families throughout the Alberta and really just this whole area, Alberta to, to Lillian, the Alberta school district area. And this next year, we're going to take the charge on that. We're going to be leading that next year as we partner with St. Mark's down the road to do that. But as we finish looking in this text, um, as we look at the last thing that James writes in verse 27, uh, take a look at this because he says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep yourself unstained from the world. It's really easy to just gloss over that, but as we consider that last phrase, I I think it's helpful to start with by knowing that the world here is talking about life apart from Christ. That is the worldview and life lived when you're separated from God, right? And I want us to think a little bit deeper about that because that statement in it, James is saying that we need to keep ourselves unstained from the world. How do we do that? In light of scripture, how do we do that? How do we live in the world and not get stained by it? I think some of you know that I'm the cook in my family. I, I'm actually pretty good at it, okay? I'm bragging on myself a little bit. Tama can attest to it. I'm, I'm the cook. Um, but Tama can also attest to the fact that I am not the cleanliest of cooks. Um, that's putting it nicely. I'm a messy cook. I make a mess in the kitchen every time I cook. Um, so much so that as we're remodeling this kitchen, Tama has insisted, like this was a non-negotiable, that we had to have all 24 feet of linear counter space on our, in our kitchen has to have a full backsplash from the counter to the cabinets because she's tired of cleaning up my mess, right? But the backsplash is not the only thing that gets dirty when I cook. I've also stained a lot of shirts, Like my favorite shirt, I'll go into the kitchen and I'll get grease and oil and stuff on it because I'm, again, not a healthy cook either. Um, And and it stains those. And as I was kind of considering, like, how do I I avoid the stains in the kitchen? I, I really came up with three options. Okay, so option number one is I could just take my shirt off every time I go into the kitchen. Nobody wants that. Not even me. Okay, so that that doesn't work. Option number two, I I could just not cook. I could just not ever go into the kitchen and, and do any cooking. But in my family, that probably won't work out for us well either. Okay? You read what you want out of that. I got permission before I said that. Um, option number three. Option number three is I, I could cover myself. I could put on an apron and protect my shirts. And that's the option I try to do. That's the option I try to exercise. And as we consider this final point that James is giving us, I want you to think about this and and realize that we've got several options too. If we're going to live in the world but not be stained by the world, we've got a couple of options. We could isolate ourselves. We could build up barriers. We could separate ourselves and our kids and our families from the world around us. We could live in a little compound and never have to interact with the world out there. But here's the problem. If we want to do that, How are we going to take care of widows and orphans? 
How are we going to proclaim the gospel? That's not a viable option, is it? Right? So what's the other option? What if we clothed ourselves in Jesus? What if we covered ourselves with Jesus? If it, then we might be actually able to go out in the world. Then, then we could, could go out and serve the world, but not be stained by the world. That's what kind of religion we're talking about. So, as Christians, we need to remember we are citizens of heaven. We go into the world as ambassadors. Who are we representing? We're representing Christ, our King. We clothe ourselves in Christ because he can keep us unstained from the world. That's an option that works. So, it's Orphan Sunday. Uh, Today, Christians all over the globe are gathering to remember how we can serve and take care of and love on orphans. Today, we, we join them in remembering that we are called to a simple Christian faith. It, it sounds hard, but it, it really isn't, right? We love God, and because we love God, we're going to love the people that God loves. That's what this text is talking about. That's what it's talking about. Let's pray.